You're listening to the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, dual gender male to female crossdresser, LGBTQ plus advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of the Living with Crossdressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of FoxandHanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. And let's get started in three, two. Hi, Savannah. Hi, Julie. How are you? Why were you shaking your head? Because I did go and you said, what? Two, <laughs> three. And then I paused. You paused. And not only did you pause, you decided to redo your mic. And I'm like, what? You know, what's going on with this operation? You know. Check, check, check <laughs> it out. What, what, Sibilis, what's it all Sibilis, about? check. Sibilis. From the tip of the tongue to the tip of the lip. Check, check. <laughs> That's all I got. That. I don't have, I can't even do those tongue twists, uh, those tongue twisters that you do. So I just sit here and just go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and hopefully it works. Anywho. <laughs> Hi, Savannah. How Hi. are you doing? I am good. More writing today and this weekend. Um, doing a lot of self-concept and self-awareness research. And it's really been eye-opening. And it's ironic that when I do research that I seem to think is outside of myself, it always brings up because I write about it and then something pops in my head in a new way for my own life. Mm. For instance, we've talked several times on this podcast about the little boy across the street who wore the high heels mm-hmm. when we were playing school and he was a teacher and he wanted to wear the high heels to be the teacher. My parents, as you know, and I think you mentioned it in the last episode, we're kind of making gay jokes about him wearing heels. And I took that as negative talk and I really didn't want to be associated with that. So obviously I did not come up to my parents in any way based on that. That was a new revelation as of, I don't know, a year ago or two years ago when I was actually doing that first TEDx. But today I was talking about why I felt so alone as a kid. And I'm like, even in spite of the fact I knew the little boy across the street who wore heels, which I had done in private, and he had done on his front porch with all of his kids around, but yet I completely disassociated and distanced myself from thinking that he was like me. And it was a weird thing. I was like, I couldn't really tell you if it was because my what my parents said. So, you know, that was kind of taboo and off limits and a bad thing. So I should stay away from that. But the fact that I did not find a common bond with that young boy, my friend, you know, he was only a year older than me. We're on the same block. We played all the time as all his kids. Why wouldn't I have reached out to him even in my teenage years to say, hey, by the way, can I confide in you? And I didn't. And I still felt I was alone, even though there was the same kid across the street who was kind of in a community with me. This is a really amazing, I love that. And I love the way you have set up so nicely for our topic today, or at least how I am going to approach it. And that is the whole discussion of drag queens and about how 
when I first kind of discovered drag queens and kind of the, the drag scene, it was all very quiet. It was kind of like what I what made me feel unique. And, you know, it was a big part of the gay, the gay boy club scene. And so I very much felt a kinship to that. But when RuPaul's Drag Race first came out and it was so in your face and accessible to the mainstream, you'd think that I would be the first person to sit down, to videotape, to watch it, to really be like, this is great. But it felt like someone flipped on a light to what I hold true and sacred. And I can link, you know, connect the dots with your statement about why didn't I find the neighbor boy and be like, hey, I I see myself in you. You know what I mean? Why didn't I do that? Right. And I think that when we see a part of ourselves put on high def and people are so confident in themselves, giving themselves permission to just be that part of ourselves that we hide away, it's very intimidating. It makes us not want to have any association with that part of ourselves, even if it means connecting with someone else that's even more visible and out. You kind of feel outed. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just dive right into the topic at hand of drag queens and the fact that they are very much the rock stars, the supermodels, you know, when the supermodels had the front row seats to every high party, you know, back in the um, Kate Moss days and the Naomi Campbell days. Now it's drag queens. They're vibrant and they're out there and they're in your face. And it's something that I've always felt as someone who was a theater kid, as someone who very much felt my true theatric identity had to be kind of kept hidden. My authentic self had to be kept hidden. And then here you have these beautiful queens that are just like larger than life. In this day and age, because of RuPaul's Drag Race and because of the success that it has had, drag queens are out there. They're in your face. They're in your face on a daily basis. And it involves them being placed in a, in a way that is threatening. I mean, there are bans going on for drag queens. Yes. I did some research. I did find a bunch of different things that were super interesting. Yeah. Um, the first is the GOP, which is the grand old party, the Republican Party, mm. is trying to put forth a bill to end federally funded drag queen story hours, other sexually explicit programs for kids under 10, and programs supporting radical gender theory could not be funded with taxpayer money in new bill. And, you know, they're trying to put forth this proposal or this bill that would prohibit the use of federal funds for these type of things, for drag shows and drag queen story hour events that have popped off across the country. That was on Fox News, by the way. Mm. Um, That's where that came from. And I will take uh, this list of things I found and I'll just add into the show notes just so you can see what they're saying. Also, NPR.org did one that says some lawmakers hope to crack down on drag shows watched by children. And it it says the LGBTQ plus community has long celebrated self-expression with drag shows featuring performers and costumes and makeup impersonating men or women within the popularity of the Emmy award-winning RuPaul's Drag Race. Ah, you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But Republican legislatures in Florida, Arizona, Texas, and other states are trying to crack down with proposals to ban minors from drag shows, which is ironic because we have drag brunches here in South Carolina. Yeah. So this is not like 
oh, if it's after 10 p.m., don't take your kid to you know one of these shows, or right. it has to be PG versus rated R. We have brunches, we have story hours, we have shows all the time, but typically they're at bars where minors aren't supposed to be anyway. If you found a kid in a bar at 10 p.m., well, there's something more going on that needs to be looked at than just the fact that there's a drag show. One other thing I wanted to throw out here, actually a couple things, I'm sorry. GOP lawmakers aim to criminalize drag shows where children could be present. So now they're trying to criminalize it. Uh, that from Nashville, that was on Pew, that's P-E-W, trusts.org. And based mm-hmm. on what I could find, it is a Christian group running that blog. Additionally, bills introduced in Tennessee to ban drag shows, gender affirming care. Mm -hmm. And that was on advocate.com. So that is a pro pride site. So I'm trying to hit it from both sides, you know, both conservative and liberal in terms of pros and cons and for and against. So this one said, one day after the 2022 midterm elections proves that Republicans efforts to paint LGBTQ plus people as groomers and dangerous to children failed. Tennessee lawmakers doubled down on their anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment by introducing two bills targeting the community. All you have to do is just put in a very quick search and you're going to find a lot of things about drag. That's it. That's all I got. That's what I found just quick, very quick. Some that were from Advocate, some Fox News. So you know that some are trying to push the conservative viewpoint on their op-ed. Some are trying to do their pro-LGBTQ plus on their op-ed. So again, be very careful with what you read and how um, you take the presentation of the materials. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that. It's amazing to me the kind of world we live in right now, the kind of divide that is queer representation and this this total shift in, I don't know, it's really interesting to me because something that was always very celebrated in the gay community, very underground, has now come from the underground into total visibility, total celebration by one side of it. And this celebration has caused threats, death threats. I mean, the president met with a drag queen, I think it was last week, and this drag queen, as well as the president, received death threats. Mm. It feels so radical to me, something that was originally brought to my attention as this counterculture, this campy way of being, this crass underground way of being, and then making it mainstream, making, you know, Shangela was just on the cast of Dancing with the Stars, making it so mainstream and making it this celebration. I think that it's been really interesting, especially as you look at gender, as we take it from the club scenes on the forefront of gender identity. I know even five years ago, I had conversations with several trans clients of mine and cross-dressers who don't identify as trans, and they had a visceral reaction to drag queens in a negative way. Didn't want to have anything to do with them, felt insulted. I think for a lot of people who identified as cross-dressers, it felt very in your face. Like, who are these people who are in your face about something that I do not want to be exposed to? So here I am, a closeted cross-dresser, and I'm sitting next to my young daughter who's really into this RuPaul's Drag Race, and I'm so closeted. I'm going to feel triggered. I'm going to feel exposed. I'm going to feel embarrassed. 
And I believe over the past two years, the cast of RuPaul's Drag Race have really showcased a lot of trans pride in the fact that several of the members found drag in a way to transition. There was um, Got Mick, who is one of the top contenders on RuPaul's Drag Race, is a trans man. And so that had has never been done. And we're really just shifting the narrative about something that for me is so important and lovely and loving and inclusive. I mean, I just love it. It, it promotes body positivity. Just I've just of uh, God's back in terms of my love for drag queens and, and how protective I feel. Well, we know and we've always known you love the drag culture. I, I will say I... I can say I agree with some of these closeted crossdressers who see drag, public drag, as something they don't want to associate with because they're afraid if they even bring up the word crossdressing to somebody they know, it's going to be, again, one of those three questions. Oh, are you, is it drag? Are you doing drag? Where all of a sudden now there is a synonymousness of drag means campy, drag means over the top, drag means gay, drag means like, hello. Many crossdressers don't want that. That's not what their their identity looks like. They're just like, no, I just want to be, you know, a girl going out, sitting in the bar or sitting in a coffee shop or going shopping. I'm not flamboyant and I'm over the top. I'm not lip syncing. I'm not dancing on tables for dollar bills, y'all. You know, <laughs> there, is, there is a very specific lane that people put outsiders, non-allies, or people just kind of culturally exposed to it entertainment-wise, they see drag in a very specific way. So they may feel that, oh, if you're dressing as a woman, therefore you must be doing drag, which is, again, something like me and that kid across the street, you try to disassociate yourself from. And that's not necessarily a good thing because that kind of puts you on your back foot or on your back heel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> put you on your back heel because now you're you're afraid you're going to going to have to defend yourself and your narrative your gender narrative against what's now becoming very very popularized and people have a bigger vocabulary about what drag can be or is and you're like but no that's not me oh now we're gonna like you know prove that i'm not so that's something i can i can agree with in a way because i didn't consider myself drag and i was worried that I would be seen. I've been asked that several times if I've said the word crossdresser. That's like, oh, that's drag. I've been told that. So obviously there's a synonymousness between crossdressing and drag in the public's eye. So mm-hmm. I totally get that. But, but my beautiful, beautiful Julie, I will tell you this. My first true, true exposure and experience was with the drag culture. When I moved to mm-hmm. New York City, we went downtown to the East Village for my wife's co-worker's birthday party. And where did we end up? Lucky Changs. Lucky Changs in the East Village. It was 96, 97. They had just opened up in 93. By 94, 95, it was hopping in a place to be. It was like even celebrity feel. People wanted to be there. It was gaining steam. And so I got I went there and I saw Drake performers. I saw Every server, every host, every bartender was drag in some way. I don't know if they were trans drag or gay drag or what the, their stories were, but they were all beautiful, beautiful drag performers and workers. And I was just 
it was like going to Disney World as a child and just eyes wide in this wonderful world that I'd never seen before. And I will tell you this, we went a second time, my wife and I, for dinner, and she actually started a conversation with the host, I'm sorry, a conversation with the bartender, who is uh, obviously in drag, and started talking about me as a cross-dresser and trying to help me find a community who could maybe pull me along or drag me along into the community in a way that I could have exposure to it. So the drag community for me was my introduction and first feast of what it could be like. And the fact to see these people celebrated and applauded and performing and all these things was just like, wow, this is all a whole new world, as Disney would say. So yeah, it was just uh, something for me that I will always celebrate my roots because I was exposed to the roots of drag in New York City. I love that for you. Thank you. So as I'm I'm listening to you kind of talk, I I realize that I, I I've collected a lot more dual gender folks that have this very opposing view from drag queens. It's very much a trigger. I think I've collected more relationships where that's the case than not. So I would like to create, I've, I've loosely created a list together on what people can benefit if they're listening to this, if they dared to listen to this topic today, regardless of how it triggers them. I wanted to spit off a couple of things that could be beneficial to you as a crossdresser and how okay. you can connect with these scary drag queens. They're so fabulous. Yes. I scratch away at some notes, so I'm just going to kind of say it, and then you can say what you feel, and then we'll discuss. We'll discuss. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the benefits are that drag queens are a celebration of feminine expression. They are fully their authentic self and fully devoted to their female persona. That is something that I feel like crossdressers can definitely benefit from or can relate to in terms of Savannah, how you celebrate Savannah, how you know how to dress for your body, you work the different clothes, you are a manifesto. And if you have doubt sometimes, there are so many different drag queens that you can refer to, especially if you want to get into RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> to kind of take a little note from their confidence in terms of how they work a room, in terms of how they bring self-love on high def. I know a lot of queens, when they're being interviewed about their non-drag self versus their drag self, they say that their drag persona is the best of themselves. And I think that that's something that I've heard from many of my clients, many of the listeners, our beautiful listeners, is that their female persona, they wish they can be as their feminine self like all day, because that female side of themselves represents the heart of who they are as an entire being. Wow, that's a lot of stuff to unpack. But simply put, yeah, the confidence that you can see watching these reality shows is almost unparalleled. You know, they are just so confident and content and in touch with who they are, uh, both in, in their whatever biological form they are, 
as well as their drag persona. I mean, it's an art form. It's such an elevated art form. It's almost something that you can't compete with. So in that way, the confidence is something to aspire to, but the end product is something you're like, I'll never get there. That being said, there's a show called We're Here. And I know you've seen it, right? Yeah. Which which is more, it's still a reality show, but they take drag in a different direction. So instead of it being a, a competition drag to drag about, you know, running the runway and you have a certain theme and you got to present this and create that. We're here takes that drag at such a personal component level where they're bringing in people who are possibly intolerant, people who are trying to support their transgender sibling or son or daughter by doing drag themselves in, in that show. Sure. It's about creating a look for that person that's going to participate, creating a routine for that person. But at the heart of it, it is about the love and celebration and acceptance of each other, which I think is so powerful. So RuPaul's Drag Race can do that. Uh, in all these other shows that kind of are these drag centric, quote unquote, shows really do do show that heart that I think so many of us get lost in the, the glamour of it. We forget about the the heart part of it. Exactly. I, I love that show. Um, Bob, the drag queen, Shangela and Eureka that were all from RuPaul's Drag Race are actually the drag queens in that show. And the goal behind that show is to take these individuals that have their stories to maybe connect with the families that may not be able to love this individual the way they need to be loved and to choreograph, spend a week choreographing this one major drag performance mm-hmm. for which the family comes and they they surround them. And it's just so beautiful and it's so real seeing these over-the-top queens talk about discomfort, enter these towns, like you said, and just have the reaction just be so visceral from those receiving this like flamboyant, over-the-top being. And it's just, I don't know, I, I definitely recommend that show as well. It's and beautiful. Yes, I agree. And you know, they were right here in Spartanburg, downtown Spartanburg. I think the uh, last episode of season two started season three because it was right when COVID hit. So they had to like kind of put the brakes on the presentation or the performance. But I live in Spartanburg County. So it is right here in my backyard that they were, which was amazing. And fun fact, Bob the Drag Queen worked at Lucky Chang's. (gasps) Really? Yeah. A lot of people have come up through Lucky Chang's. Now it's actually on 8th Avenue. It's not in the East Village anymore. But Laverne Cox, Bob the Drag Queen, and some others have come up through the ranks by working at Lucky Chang's as part of their career. Hey, now. Look at you. What? Maybe I should have been a performer. I could have gone in a whole other direction. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So number two, I wrote... It is a trans-friendly place to go. It is a safe space. So if you are wondering where you can go and dress as your female self, it is definitely, as Savannah has mentioned in her previous life in New York, this is a place where you can go with a bunch of dual gender individuals, where you can try out different outfits, where you can be just barely getting there. I I know that you have mentioned in previous episodes that this is where you used to go, you know, drag shows when you were newly Savannah, when you were going through what what you would call the awkward phase. It's definitely a place where no matter how good you are at your craft or where you are in your journey, you are safe to present 
as female at a drag show. Wouldn't you agree? I was a hot mess in New York City when I was clubbing in the late 90s or 97, 96 to 98, maybe. I was a freaking hot mess. I was a newbie, a little baby bird. I didn't know how to do makeup. My hair was a ratty mess half the time. But yeah, I would go. I was living on the Upper East Side at the time. I'd go downtown to the Meatpacking District, have some friends. And yeah, there'd be drag performances pretty much at every one of these clubs. Yeah, and you could just let your hair down. They had multi-levels and multi-bars. And it was just packed and amazing. And you could see people like yourself there as well, not performing, watching, and dressing up themselves. So yeah, it was just a way to, if not connect to others necessarily, like get a phone number and all of a sudden you got a brand new friend. Even if you didn't do that, you're just able to immerse yourself in a way of like, wow, this does exist. It's like, I was wrong. This whole time I thought I was the only one doing it. I am so wrong because there's so many people and everybody's having a good time. Everybody's happy. Uh, everybody's getting along. And you just, you had this solidarity that was just came with it. I love that. And another thing is these performers that you see, they have a story, you know, when they take off their makeup, when they deconstruct, when they take off the breast forms, they're a person that comes with a very unique, like yours story, a story that isn't so easy, a story that has gotten to this place to whether it be for 15 minutes or permanently embrace their feminine persona in this high def kind of way. I think that many of our listeners can relate to some of the stories. If you give it a chance, if you go beyond the club scene of this 15 minute, you know, throwing the dollar bills and you do slow it down and you do watch shows like we're here and RuPaul's Drag Race, where they either put on their makeup or deconstruct and go out of makeup. They are having conversations with each other about, you know, the estrangement from their family, the pain, the bullying, the years of hiding it. All these things are themes that you and I discuss on the podcast. They're real LGBTQ, you know, genderqueer stories. It isn't just this campy performance. That is when you think about a drag queen, right? When you think about all the smoke and the choreography that comes from these, these performances that are amazing. But if you were to and the club and watch this person deconstruct. This is just a human being that's that's also living a human experience just like you. So as agitating as it may be, dear listeners, to watch them be all, you know, in your face and feminine, they're just doing the best they can, doing something they love because they found an outlet where they feel free. Here, here. Absolutely. I totally agree that we do get wrapped up in just the glamour of it and don't see the heart of it. And that's emotional for me, too, to hear these people who seem so elevated and successful and they're on TV, they're making it happen, they're doing all these things, they're on our big screen, watching it on streaming, and here we are just like in the closet or just being local, you know, doing things here and there, and to see them be people. And I think that can be said for almost anybody that we put on a pedestal, celebrities, right. singers, actors and actresses, whoever, we always assume they live this charmed life right? without realizing that, yeah, they go through the same angst. They, they might live in a different way. They might have people assisting them and have five cars. Yeah, that's fine. But they still have 
a humanity to them that they're dealing with became who they were. And that's what they evolved into. It wasn't how they just magically started that way. So right. we, we, we tend to look at just what's presented to us as like this still shot, this poster of what, what they are. And we assume all these things about who they are based on that, that one image without really tackling the nuances of the human condition. Very much so. Um, so I keep on doing a lot of ums. I'm like, um, uh, truth be told, in preparation for this episode, because drag queens are something that I'm so passionate about, I did my best to do a little bit of research. I did trust what I'm meant to say will burst from my heart per usual on these episodes. You know, we come up with these topics and some of them hit me deeper than others. But last night I didn't get that great of sleep. You know, when you kind of half sleep where you're half awake, half asleep and your mind is just running. Mm -hmm. Well, all last night, literally until like seven in the morning where I told my mind to just stop. I have been (laughs) running through drag history, everything I love about drag, the drag characters. I mean, I have been going on overtime in terms of why drag queens are so important to me and how I want to express the love I have for drag queens in this, you know, bite-sized episode. But I definitely feel like all the listeners know what a fan I am of this craft and how amazed I am and how beneficial it is for my work as someone who started six years ago at this point, finding my calling in male to female transformation. I mean, I have drag queens to thank mm-hmm. for, for that experience, for that early exposure in terms of who I am in my identity and in my own life's path. And so thank you so much for listening and for just joining me, Savannah, especially because you really know how passionate I am. And you're like, well, I could add this and that. But yeah, so I appreciate (laughs) it because drag queens are, it's not even that they're acquired taste. They're here. They're queer. They're loud. And it just seems no matter what in this day and age, you can't get enough of them and you can't get away from them, which I'm I'm happy about personally. Uh, I would say for some, it's probably still an acquired taste, especially if you're really not into that culture. So yeah, it's, they are loud. They are crass. They are sassy. They are over the top and flamboyant and all those things that we all wish we had confidence to do. Like, I think every one of us wish we could just walk into a room and command that spirit, that hunger and heart and be able to just walk in and just take over the room. I wish I could do that. I'm a little more quiet, as you know. I sit more quietly with my femininity, so I'm not over the top. I'm not brash. I'm not flamboyant. I get my moments, but they're really not of that caliber of just ferocity. But, you know, I'm fierce in my own way. And I am coming to accept that I don't need to compare to anybody else. My ferocity doesn't need to be like RuPaul. It doesn't have to be like Bob the Drag Queen. It could just be my own And as we all should know, the way we present to the world is our own unique flavor of who we are. It doesn't have to compare to anybody else. I don't want to be like you. You don't have to be like me. We just have to be ourselves. And that's that's it. That's enough. As long as you are your best self, that's all you need to be. And the interesting thing about this is I think to a lot of people, you are ferocious in your feminine self. You are a graceful and quiet leader who has 
put themselves out there on the forefront, who, who has written the books, who has done the TED Talk, who has collected these accolades that many people not only wish they could do and don't, but have because of you. I can believe that, you know, to help a newly presenting female crossdresser who needs to get from the car to the bar to see a drag show where it's safe, but they still need to get out of that car. I'd like to believe that they have called on people like you to have some of what you have, the confidence, the grace, the owning yourself. And that's what I see. I mean, it doesn't have to be this, I'm allowed Savannah in the world. No, you have made your mark in a loud way without having to be so in your face. I mean, that's how I see you. And that's how I know a lot of people see you. And yet here I am being self-conscious about not being louder, not being more aggressive or fierce or whatever. And again, that's something I'm still working on to be true to my heart and explode that aura out in the way that is most me, right? you know, as we all should, you know, we don't have to compare it to somebody else, but I will tell you the drag culture, like you brought up for this conversation piece, it is an amazing over the top flamboyant, exciting, kinetic whirlwind of color and entertainment that really does almost set a bar, but in a good way. It's like, wow, if they can do that, I can do my version of that and it'll just be as good. Right. And it comes down to one word and that's energy. It's energy. How can I cultivate some of that positive energy in the world, whether it be towards my female persona you know, feeding its confidence, feeding its shine, surrounding myself with a community that does that for me, that doesn't put me down, but raises the bar. And another thing that I was thinking about is if I feel so confident in my female form, but not so confident in my male form, how can I take a page? Let's say we're talking about you. How can I take a page from Savannah's book to Chuck? You know, what can I do if my female self is a little fiercer than my male self? What can I steal? What can I borrow? What can I integrate? So I think that that's another thing that's really important when we, when we think about the topic of drag queens and we think about, okay, how do I take some of that self-worth and self-esteem? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'll even go, I agree with you hundred percent about borrowing and applying what you are really great at, like the Savannah side versus the Chuck side and vice versa. But I'll even say something different, which is, and I get asked this a lot. It's like, well, why do you put so much effort into Savannah? And for the longest time, I didn't know the answer. I didn't know why I didn't really put that much effort into Chuck. Because there's an assumption that like, well, if you're glamorous and fashionable as Savannah, you know, Chuck should present that same way. And I had to be like, no, that's not true. I'm not a fashion plate. I'm not a fashionista when it comes to Chuck. I'm not wearing dress pants and alligator shoes and, you know, colorful vests and alligator shoes. I don't know. Whatever the kids are doing, that doesn't appeal to me. It's not like one has to equate to the other. It just means that's not what Chuck is about. So it really was about finding the center of who Chuck is as well. And whatever makes Chuck the best he can be. Right. Whereas... 
Savannah, to me, takes a little more effort, a little more care, a little more putting things into place to perfect it. Whereas Chuck's like, well, I'm already perfected. <laughs> but there, there is something about being confident in both guises that definitely could be borrowed. Knowing you were able to do it in one way, should be no reason why you can't do it in the other. Yes. Here, here. The last thing I want to get to in terms of the connective thread between our community and the dry community is just the time and effort it takes through the fine art of female transformation, male to female transformation, the prepping the face, the shapewear, all of that. That's definitely something both parties can kind of connect with each other about that this is a an art form. It's time consuming. And for some people, both drag queens and non-drag queens, it can feel very much like a beautiful ritual. Mm-hmm. Right. I see that for myself too. I mean, we've talked about that where I've dragged myself out of bed going, I don't want to do this, but I guess yeah. I have to. And then when you once you start just immersing yourself in the, you know, luxury of a hot shower and shaving and applying a moisturizer and then putting on the clothes and either laying them out or knowing what you want to wear and then applying the makeup. There is a sense of routine, but the routine, like you said, is more ritualistic. It's almost evoking something, not just, it's not just a routine of like, oh, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do the other thing. It's like, it's evoking the femininity. It's calling up the energy and the spirit to embody. So yeah, for me, anyway, I can't speak for others, but for me, most times where I'm just dragging myself to that cert point, once I'm in it, I've never regretted. And I've always had a very positive and beautiful experience once I've done it. Yeah. And it could be very much fast and furious and sweaty and like <laughs> you have a, you know, a timer on you because you have X amount of minutes to get ready. That's another connection there to the nonstop backstage mayhem that is this male to female transformation. So yeah, thank you for for listening. Thank you so much, Savannah, for being a part of a world I love so much and mm-hmm. for entertaining that. And I appreciate you so much. Oh, I appreciate much. you. And I appreciate you bringing this topic because I know it's something close to your heart. It is. Yeah. So bye for now. Until next time. Wait, can I say one thing? What? Go ahead. Um, so many episodes ago, you had asked me like what my drag queen name would be mm-hmm. if I had one. Yes. Remember that? Yeah, I do. And like I could think of it and whatever. But I realized I did think of it like oh, like in college or maybe a little bit after college. And I want to share it with everyone right now. But it's oh, kind of embarrassing. Sh- All right. Here we go. Bring it on. Okay, so do you, <laughs> I'm blushing. You know how like and this is this came from a time where drag queens couldn't be just called like Samantha Fabulous or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were crass and they were witty and they were this or that. So I came up with the name. You know how I'm red haired, curly mm. hair, kind of mm-hmm. looks like Breakfast Club Molly Ringwald. Uh-huh. Molly Rim Job. <laughs> Oh, you're never gonna those you're never gonna be able to go to a matinee where kids are invited with that name. Oh boy. Or Molly <laughs> Ringworm. That's gross, right? That's kind of gross. Absolutely gross. All right, don't judge me. That is it. No wonder I blacked it out when you called. But that like when you asked me, I was like, I don't know, never thought about it. 
And then I realized I had, and I did razzle dazzle. Um. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. That's fantastic. So again, let's, let's, let's take this one out. One more time. Bye right. for now. Until next time. Hee <laughs> hee. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at Julie MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com. Julie, it's your moment. Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses Anchor copyright 2023. Yes, nailed it. If you enjoy our content and want to make it easier for others to find us, please share with your friends. Tap the subscribe or follow button to the show wherever you're listening. Give it a five-star rating or leave a review. And for show ideas or comments, contact us through the podcast on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix Podcast underscore.